to Beyond the Ropes, the podcast. We are here now with the mom of the 40 plus Double Dutch Club movement. Because of the fact that we are a group of women ages 40 through well into their 80s, we want to make sure that we have an opportunity to hear the stories of everyone who is involved in this movement. And while we know that it's probably not realistic that we'll be able to tell everyone's stories, we do want to make sure that we are sharing stories of some of the most key people that are part of this movement. And of course, my mother is one of those people. <laughs> hey, Ma. Hi. I am glad to be here today. This is so exciting. Um, when you were born, I don't think I would have ever thought that I would be sitting in a studio being interviewed by you because you are the founder of a movement that's impacted so many women. Because when you were growing up, that was an interesting journey. Very interesting journey. <laughs> well, it's a good thing we are here to talk about when you were growing up. So tell us about the early years of Phyllis Powell Pelt. Well, I was actually born in Washington, D.C., mm -hmm. but my parents moved here when I was two. I'm the second of eight children, but when we moved here, there were only two Moved of here us. where? We moved uh, to Chicago, okay. Illinois, mm -hmm. and we actually, I actually grew up in Woodlawn, okay. not too far from the University of Chicago um, campus. All right. Is Woodlawn a fancy, well-to-do area? Well, I didn't know that Woodlawn was anything but a, a nice place for us to live. But when I was in high school and my social studies teacher took us on a field trip, mm -hmm. we were about three blocks from our house and he was explaining to the uh, rest of the people on the bus, my classmates, that we were in the heart of the ghetto and I had just told the kids that I lived down the street. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Who knew? Who knew? So, yeah, you do get bits and pieces of information that you didn't realize. I, I didn't know that I was poor and I did not know I was living in the ghetto. I do know that it was a quarter to ride the bus to school, but I walked instead because I needed to save that quarter so I could buy some McDonald's french fries. Okay. So walking back and forth to school was one of the things. I went to Wadsworth Elementary School. That was eight blocks away. Mm -hmm. Met some amazing friends. One of my friends that I met was Jesse Brown, who the Jesse Brown VA Hospital was named after now. Okay. He was one of the uh, first uh, young men that I met. And um, he decided he wasn't going to take the Constitution test. And I said, oh, Jesse, you got you to gotta take that to pass eighth grade. Mm -hmm. So he he he. I, we studied together. I think he got a ninety six. I got an eighty four. Oh, but at any rate, the eight of us went to Wadsworth Elementary School. We walked back and forth to school. Those were the days where you came home for lunch. Mm -hmm. My sister Eleanor was a bookie. Um, she actually uh, eventually became a research librarian. Mm -hmm. She was the valedictorian of our eighth grade class. So I'm like, okay, if she can be the valedictorian, I'm going to try to be the valedictorian. Mm -hmm. So sure enough, I got to be the valedictorian of the class. They announced it. Uh, the, the day they announced it, I ran home from school to tell my parents that I was the valedictorian, and I was so proud. And my dad said, oh, congratulations, you're the smartest of the dumbest. And I'm like, that's the school you sent us to. I was just doing my best, you know. So that was just a little bit of the tone of uh, mm -hmm. our growing up. Our parents really, really, really believed in education. Mm -hmm. 
and us doing the very, very best of everything. My dad um, went to Hampton Institute. So in the 40s, he was a college graduate. My mom was a nurse. She graduated from Freedman's Hospital, uh, Freedman Hospital School of Nursing, connected to Howard University. Mm -hmm. That was one of the few places where African American women could go to be a nurse. Mm -hmm. um, because of my mom, I decided I wanted to be a nurse. Okay. I decided that when I was twelve, mm. because she would come home. She was working at Cook County Hospital which is uh, Stroger's now. Mm -hmm. She worked nights in the emergency room. Now, because there were eight of us, my parents did not believe in babysitting. My dad worked nights, my mom, or if he worked days, my mom worked nights. Between the two of them, they babysat us. We did not go out to uh, anybody for babysitting. We didn't spend summers with grandparents, none of that. They took care of us. So basically, we were a pretty tight family, so tight that um, it was a big deal even to have company. Mm -hmm. So our activities were going to the library Fun. and going to church. Wonderful. And our my Uncle Bill, Uncle Bill was the pastor of our church. So we were very well known and watched over in the church. That was a, a big deal, which was kind of a fun big deal because uh, different older people adopted us. You know, different ones that would say, you know, you my girl, what's going on with you, at, you know, mm -hmm. in school. So that was kind of fun because you got that individual attention. Otherwise, there was a little bit of a competitive nature to the point where one of my sisters actually has three PhDs. I mean, we're talking about serious competition. Right. Two earned, one from the University of Chicago, one was honorary, and another one was earned. Mm -hmm. I have another sister that had a PhD, mm -hmm. and they're evangelists. I mean, this whole education thing was serious. Mm -hmm. So I remember for fun, um, I would go to the library, and a couple of times, you were supposed to be going to the library to study, but I was going to visit my friends because we couldn't invite them home. And one of the times I was in the library just chatting away, having a great time. And this man that was sitting at the end of the reference table, um, he had this newspaper up and he pulled the newspaper down and it was my dad. And he was like, I thought you were here studying. It looks like you're doing a lot of talking in here. So I'm like, oh, hi, daddy. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, this talking thing has been a very serious situation with me all my life. My mom had a special name for me. She would say, um, mouth almighty, lips everlasting, tongue conceiving. And she would say it real fast. Okay, mouth almighty, lips everlasting, tongue conceiving. You need to stop now. <laughs> so I was like, okay, mom. So even now at almost 77, I'm still working on, You're I'm still doing a, work a, a little bit of talking too much. But even anyway, now. when I met, uh, in high school, I met uh, your dad. Mm -hmm. um, he was going to Dunbar Vocational School, but they didn't have advanced algebra mm -hmm. uh, in the summers program. So we were sitting in um, advanced algebra class in alphabetical order. Mm -hmm. And um, I was talking not and you. he asked the me and he asked the teacher if he could move his seat because he actually wanted to learn the information. And since she went to my church, he knew that I would probably pass because my, my uncle was the pastor. Mm -hmm. So he said, well, you're probably going to pass her, but I don't go to the church and I actually need to learn the information. So the teacher wouldn't move him because we're supposed to be sitting in alphabetical order. Mm -hmm. So then he adjusted to that. Then we went down to the library where he was also trying to study. I was down there visiting. He said, do you talk everywhere you go? And I'm like, whatever. <laughs> so anyway, 
I don't even know if they used that term then. Probably not. But he uh, he walked me home, and he uh, I thought he lived near me. When I told my father where he lived, he said, he lives right by the school. And he's walking you 12 blocks home. You didn't even realize that he was going out of his way. But that's that's how I met uh, your dad um, talking in um, in in high school, and, and that was when I was a since. junior. Yep, he's still trying to adjust. It'll be fifty five years uh, next month. And he's still, he's still trying, trying to get to adjust. used to it. He's still trying to get used to it. It's, it's really a journey. Yes, yes. Okay. Well, tell us about your children. Oh, my children! I have a child that's a souvenir from every place we've lived. When we first got married, we lived in the Philippine Islands at Clark Air Base, and we had um, method failure, so that's Portia, number one. Method failure? Method failure, birth control method failure. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And that was really interesting because I was teaching family planning, and here I was walking around pregnant, but... What I told the girls at the University of Illinois that I was teaching, you know, the family planning trials, I said, well, the difference is I am married and right. you're 14 and you're pregnant, so I'm trying to work with you. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that, at, when I had Portia, she was method failure. So then we, but then I found out that it only cost $7.50. That was for prenatal, the delivery, and postpartum care. And you could never turn away from that a bargain. That was the bargain of a lifetime. Right. So I'm thinking, oh, well, we'll plan number two. That was you. You were planned. And so we lived in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. You were born in Kittery, Maine, mm-hmm. because they didn't have a hospital there. But it did go up. It was $8.50. But I was so wealthy. you were born there, but you were, you were our souvenir from Portsmouth. And then Paula was our souvenir from Bellwood. And that's when we weren't in the service anymore, and hers was over a thousand dollars. And so, so she wasn't play. She was method failure. Also, she was right? method failure. Also. So what you're saying is, the only child you really wanted is the yours only truly. child that I planned. Now God wanted me to have all three of you because you were all healthy, and no matter how or what I cooked, and you know I'm not all big into cooking. I was into sewing and other activities. Mm-hmm. So I want to make sure you all were eating healthy. So whatever we could put in the oven, so that would be chicken with the string beans and the carrots and the potatoes, then I could be downstairs cooking, creating beautiful clothing. Because when I grew up, we always had a lot of hand-me-downs. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, hand-me-down shoes, hand-me-down dresses. My mom knew how to take the hem out and put rickrack around the bottom so that you couldn't see the line, you know, where the... What's rickrack? It's like a trim. Oh. It's like a trim. and make that it would, fancy. Yeah, to, make, to cover up that line that, you know, to show that line. you had to mm-hmm. take the hem line. Right, right, right. So I'm, I said, when I have my own kids, I'm not going to do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make their clothes from scratch. But we couldn't afford the clothes. So I would go to a store and buy the dress and, you know, with the receipt, I was going to return it, have you all try it on, decide you like it, and then I would copy it. Mm-hmm. And this dress line that I was copying were, were called Dorissa dresses. And my friends started calling my dresses Felissa dresses. Mm-hmm. So Goldblatt used to have competitions where you would sew and get prizes. And mm-hmm. one of the prizes I got was a TV mm-hmm. one year for Easter for making a Dorissa dress because in the Philippines we learned how to sew where you could reverse your clothing and it looked like the inside out was the same. So we learned that that was the secret to winning awards mm. when you were in sewing contests. Mm-hmm. So okay. you guys had homemade prom dresses. Yes, we did. Easter dresses. I remember that. <laughs> yes, Mom. I remember very distinctly 
wearing homemade prom dresses and wearing lace dresses to church every week. You loved lace. I remember that. Um, so yes, it's one of you the were so that, cute in those dresses. Uh -huh. I've got pictures of it. I've seen the pictures. <laughs> um, I also remember the fact that you were the school nurse at our um, schools as we were growing up. Well, that was an evolution because when I started out in nursing, I worked in intensive care unit, coronary care. Uh, when we lived in the Philippines, I took care of the Vietnam veterans um, that uh, had been air evac from Vietnam. And the stories that they told me made me want to work in an area where I could, where health teaching was mandatory. One of the guys was 19 years old. He had a hearing loss and he lied on the hearing test to get in the army. And he was married with a child and he ended up um, dying because he didn't he couldn't hear when the sergeant told them to retreat. Mm -hmm. So he ran into all the shrapnel. And he had multiple bullet wounds and he said he would do it again. He said because now his wife and his baby have benefits and he was 19 with no college education. So he didn't have much to offer them. I had another guy that had Burgers disease that you get from smoking. He had both legs amputated and an arm amputated. And with the left arm, he was asking for a cigarette. Mm. So I'm like, you know what? I want to work in a school or a setting where we can teach people uh, good lifestyle habits, hand washing, um, not smoking, all of that. But your father said, you know what? I just want you to be a stay-at-home mom and take care of the kids because that's what my mom did, and I, I want you to do that. I'm like, you know what? We're going to figure this out. I'm going to figure out how I can work and take care of the kids. So I was offered a position as a school nurse in Bellwood, which is where we live, Bellwood, Illinois, because the nurse there was going to retire. And she said, well, you can do an internship with me to find out if you think you're going to like school nursing. And I'm like, okay. So she said, it'll be $3 an hour for the in I'm like, what? Hold up. I have a Bachelor of Science degree in nursing. You're talking about paying me $3 an hour to work with you, to learn how to be a school. I said, you know what? I'll volunteer first mm -hmm. before you pay. I, I don't want anything on the record saying I got paid $3 an hour mm -hmm. as a professional. So I volunteered, worked with her, found out that I liked the school nursing atmosphere, and I liked the idea that I could oversee my children and their friends. Mm -hmm. So when they said that so-and-so was their friend, I was like, okay. I could. I had access to the friend, the parent, the teacher. I would know how that child was doing. So that was kind of interesting. Uh, Bell would have 3,850 kids in eight buildings, mm -hmm. and I was the only nurse for all of those schools. Mm -hmm. So I had to learn strategies for keeping the kids as well as possible so I didn't have to run all over the place trying to do mm -hmm. first aid and teach the secretaries how to do it. Mm -hmm. And one of the challenges we had in the 80s were the vending machines. Mm -hmm. And the vending machines had... Um, some kind of juicy juice in it and some kind of chips that the kids were eating and getting. Yeah, I remember that juice. Remember the juice in the little plastic bottles, the red juice, the. Yeah, that y'all were drinking two and three of and supposedly getting stomach aches and needing to go home. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wait, wait, hold up, hold up. So why don't we just get this stuff out of the vending machines or not let them have access to it? And, uh, that would cut down on them having to go home because my friends were saying, my kids are coming home supposedly sick from this juice and the pop of juice and the chips. And um, they're fine afterwards. And I'm like, okay. So I mentioned this to the administration and they were saying, well, this is one of our major fundraisers. And at this time in the seventies, they were just integrating the schools. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, so 
this was a bunch of white parents, you would consider it. But because it's black kids and they're going home, that's not an issue. And they said, well, you know what? Maybe we'll try it. So they got rid of the, they shut down the vending machines, the attendance increased, which they got money for the attendance. But my daughters and their friends were complaining that their friend's mother, who was the nurse, had gotten rid of the vending machines. And because they were, she did. because they were enjoying the, the, the snacks and they were enjoying going home and having free afternoons. And who knows what those kids were doing at home. We were trying to keep the pregnancy rate down too. Oh, wow. So that was another issue. I'm thinking they're at home alone. Um, that's not a good plan. So, um, yes, imagine how it felt for me and my sisters <laughs> and how how well liked we were by everyone when our mother came and took all of the fun out of lunchtime. No juice, no snacks, no chips, no sex. <laughs> you know, we were in so, elementary and junior high. School. You all were experimenting. So, no. <laughs> We were trying to keep down all of the curious behaviors that were normal for children your age. And in speaking of sex, I was I there were several grandparents. No, there were several grandparents that were raising their helping to raise their grandchildren. And so we were trying to make sure that they did know more about sex without surprises. So I would practice, I would have you bring your friends over and go over the information that we would that I would be teaching other people. But I was really trying to make sure you all knew the information. I remember playing outside with Nisi and Sam and Brian and Bernard, the boys that live next door to them, and you telling us we had to come in from playing double dutch, hopscotch, <laughs> playing piggy. You know, we had to come in and have a help sex me practice. Education help lesson. me practice I my classes. That. Yep, that's why we did that. And fun times. Yep, fun times. And it, it it kind of worked because that I said you have this information now that's correct that you can share with your friends. So those were some of the ways that we tried to help our kids. And you guys kind of bought into it a little bit. Did we? You bought it. We had no choice. <laughs> and when people wonder why I wasn't the popular kid in school. That's why she was happy. Think about it. <laughs> <laughs> so those were, those were some of, of the challenges. Um, it was a little challenging being the school nurse and living in the community. You would see people at Jewel or at the different stores and reminding them that, you know, we wanted to make a referral for your child to get eyeglasses. And they'd say, excuse me, can you send me an official letter? Don't 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 walk up to me in the line in Jewel and tell me that my child needs to go for an eye exam. So, again, that's back to the whole mouth thing. So I had to really put myself in check and remember that, you know, this is not when I'm supposed to be talking about that subject. But the exciting thing about being a school nurse for me was your dad said that I didn't need to work. Mm -hmm. And so some of the things that were challenging, challenges in the school setting, for example, in one of the elementary schools, the water was coming out rusty. The kids thought it was pop. They thought that they were drinking Coca-Cola. And I'm like, no, that's rusty water. And so I notified the superintendent and he didn't answer the phone. Mm -hmm. And this was a superintendent who eventually went to jail for embezzlement mm -hmm. in Bellwood. <laughs> and anyway, uh, he was there and he didn't answer the phone. So I called the health department. And so the health department called him and then he called me back and he said, 
who called the health department? I said, I did. I said, I tried to call you first. You didn't. Nobody answered. I said, these kids are drinking rusty water. And this is before bottled water. Mm -hmm. So they brought in the water for the kids. I think they had to do almost a million dollars worth of repair. Mm. Same thing with the mold. They had, I went in one of the classrooms and there was mold growing down the wall, like a velvet sheet. The teacher was out in the hospital. So I'm like, what's with this? So I reported that. They had to do a million dollars worth of repair on that. So the school board decided that Nurse Pelt could not report <laughs> anything that they didn't clear. No more. Too much money. <laughs> no more direct reports from the nurse. So I'm like, these are my kids and my kids' friends. This, these are health issues. So, yeah, so the whole health missionary work. And I considered it missionary work because the salary wasn't that great. It wasn't like what I was getting working in intensive care and coronary care. But again, since I supposedly didn't have to work, it wasn't a big deal. So I really felt like it was an opportunity to make a difference uh, in, um, in the world without going to Ghana or South Africa. It has been one of my biggest goals is to make sure that, that all three of you all were close and that we were making sure that you knew that we had unconditional love, and that no matter what happened, I wanted you to be able to tell us about it. Because when I was growing up, you could get in trouble for depending on what you told your parents. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want my situation, I didn't want our situation with our daughters to be like that. And so even when we thought, I thought you were making a bad decision, mm -hmm. we, still went, we still wanted you to know, you know what, we got you. Mm -hmm. So when you went, to, when it was time for you to go to um, high school, you decided that Proviso West was just too big for you. It was just too, too much. So I'm like, okay, well, what do you think will work for you? So that's how you ended up at Walter Lutheran with 88 kids in the graduating class, mm -hmm. because you thought that would fit your personality better than being with all these kids. So whatever we, whatever adjustments we thought we needed to do to help you all, because everybody, every, you all, all had such different gifts. Mm -hmm. and different ways of displaying uh, yourself, even with Paula. I mean, you all were playing, but Paula's sitting around uh, in a corner reading. All the time. So uh, even with cleaning up the room, and I would say, Paula, whatever you don't put away, whatever clothes uh, are not put away, those clothes are going to be donated to the thrift store. So creative Paula said, oh, okay, Mom. So she actually went in the closet, took out some of the things that I had made for her, some of the cute little Easter dresses, etc., threw them in the middle of the floor and said, okay, these are the things that, <laughs> that you can go ahead and donate to the thrift store. Who knew that she felt that way about it? And I did donate them, too. So she did, you know, so it's like trying to let you all express yourselves and um, do your own thing. That was that was a journey for me. But I was determined to do that. And I, I think I'm kind of glad that I did because I learned, you know, I, I believe that God has given us all special gifts. And I didn't know what your gift was going to be. I just knew that I was your mother. And I wanted you to know that no matter what, you know, you could t t talk to me about whatever was going on. So that was one of the things that um, I was really proud of. I think you've done a really good job of making sure that me and my sisters are close. I know even once we moved out of the house, you know, we went away to college, we moved out, came home from college, we got married, we still made sure we always stayed connected, especially with each other. But then even after we started having kids and, you know, real life issues and problems, we 
were still making sure that remember we used to do the conference calls the family conference yeah calls i like the morning. talking back and forth mm -hmm. and just keeping uh in touch with what's going on and even when you are in high in in college i was saying okay girls when you all go out make sure that i wanted you to even practice that with your friends if you're going out with somebody make sure you see that your friend sees the person's driver's license make sure that they that that guy knows that somebody else knows their name mm -hmm. for real you know and trying to kind of keep up with you all and encourage you all without being in total control mm -hmm. so I like the fact that we touch bases with each other and talk with each other and my father was big on sharing a laugh and some kind of humor uh, your dad was big on sharing some kind of news so just the the minor touching bases was something that I look forward to and enjoy and we still do that right. even though we don't do it um to the same degree because now we've got the family text in the phone we have other ways of communicating um it was a little bit challenging with grandchildren uh when they were younger in high school they were helpful with the the phone and and uh telling me that they would prefer text messages as opposed to phone calls and all of that but um watching them grow up and watching you implement that same process with them being close to each other and talking to each other and touching bases, having uh, dinner time together where they knew they were going to sit down together mm -hmm. at a table and eat a meal mm -hmm. and share their highs and lows in the day. Right. So I could see the replication of uh, some of the things that we did when we were growing up. And that made me really, really happy. Um, the fact that we are Christians and they know that, that they can that know that all things work together for good for those who believe in the Lord and are called according to his purposes. They knew that God was watching over them because mm -hmm. I would tell you all that. OK, I might not see what you're doing, but God sees what you're doing. Mm -hmm. so, so so you're still being watched, right. you know, and because we went to a big church. There were over 900 people at St. John Church Baptist. St. John was all over the place. Mm -hmm. And we might be in Marshall Fields or Sears or Goldblatt's. And somebody there would say, I just saw your daughter. And then when I would say, oh, so you you were in Goldblatt's. How did you know that, Mom? Yeah, because somebody from church told me. So that whole thing with uh, the community being part of your growing up, and you all accepted that. That wasn't a hostile thing. It was like, oh, okay. So you all started learning, too, that other people were watching. Just like when we were growing up in the day, anybody could whip you. Anybody could redirect you. But uh, this was the same sense of community that um, that you all got used to. And I, I'm happy about that because I can see how even as adults, you're very comfortable with interacting with intergenerational situations mm -hmm. and uh, children, people of all ages, all backgrounds. And that's just totally very comforting because that's the way of the world. Right. I mean, I think it's amazing that a lot of the things that we learned and that we experienced during our childhood are coming back <laughs> and we're still doing a lot of those same things, mm -hmm. which leads me to the Double Dutch movement. Yes, let's talk about the Double Dutch movement. When, I, when Pammy first uh, told me that she was driving around uh, to the different meetups and I'm like, you know what? 
you got we we were living in I was in Hazelcrest thanks to my realtor daughters Portia and Pammy that we were able to move closer to grandchildren mm-hmm. so we could help with babysitting and getting to know them. Um, Pammy was uh, driving all the way across to Proviso West, and I know she likes to be on her cell phone at the red lights and trying to text in between and all that. So I decided I was going to help by becoming her driver. And as her driver, I could hear the different conversations, uh, setting up the meeting times of trying to identify safe spaces to jump. And then I was getting to go back to familiar places because I, I used to be the president of the Proviso West PTA. Well, that was actually the Oak Park group. You were going out with me. That right. Was the that was the first, first time. Started. Okay. We were our first sub club. Mm-hmm. And so you were driving me out there to the Oak Park meetup because we would be. Oh, that's right. That was the first time. Monday, we were going and I used to be the school nurse at Oak Park and that was in my playground. Right. And that's where the guy first saw there was a white reporter and he was watching and I'm sort of scoping the edge of the perimeters as I do uh, just when people are walking by. And I said, do you know what you're watching? And he said, yeah, a bunch of girls jumping rope. I'm like "Uh, those numbers on the back of their shirt. Those are their ages. He was like, wow. He said, I'm a reporter. Can I do a story on them? And I'm like, we would love it. We would love it. So those, and then he asked, what do they do when they're not jumping? I'm like, oh, some of them are teachers. Some of them are administrators. Some of them are secretaries. Some of them are household caregivers. So yeah, they're not just sitting at home twiddling their thumb, waiting for the evening to come out to jump. And that was news for him. Mm-hmm. And that we learned then that that was news for everybody. Right. So, and as I was interacting with the women, and the major thing was the listening to your body thing. Because as we know, these are not the same bodies that were out there when y'all were kids. Because mm-hmm. y'all didn't even realize you were exercising or doing anything. Right. Right. Acting silly, jumping, doing flips. And, and some of the things I had to discourage, like I think you all wanted to do those trapeze when you all stand up pyramids they were trying to do pyramids for the photos at the end i'm like "Uh uh-uh we are not trying to use the emergency room and she was the main one trying to climb up on she was trying to climb up on somebody's shoulders no 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 no, I wasn't trying to climb up on nobody's You shoulder. were trying to help somebody else climb Katrina up on somebody. Katrina was trying to climb up on my Between shoulders. the two of you, because some people like to no, copy them. And I'm looking at all these different sizes. I'm like, uh, no. So <laughs> we were trying to be nice to everybody. But we're like, no, no, no. We're just going to stand in a semicircle for the picture. So, yeah, just reminding the ladies. <laughs> just Boring. being the reminder. So as far as the 40 plus double dutch club movement, how does it feel to be the mom of an entire movement? It's uh, it's an amazing feeling to watch what started out as just an activity between you and Katrina and a couple of your friends. I think I came to one of the early meetups where you all were just hanging out mm-hmm. randomly, um, just threw on whatever you want to throw on to just come out there and jump and how much fun you all were having acting silly acting like kids and then when we went out to trinity to see uh how the women were attracted they were there buying produce and they would see that rope and they'd say, oh give me a turn let me see if i could jump or you would invite someone to jump and they'd say girl i haven't jumped in years and then after the third try because we would always say okay the third try is a jump and consistently 
the third try. So it was basically like riding a bike that yeah. it came back. Mm -hmm. And then just to see the joy and just to see, you know, how people were hugging and greeting and making such a big deal about something that we took for granted, you know, in the day. Mm -hmm. And just to see how so many women were like, you know what, I want to try that. I want to try that. And then when Julian, my, uh, uh, who's a graphic designer, you know, that's his skill set. He has a degree in that. Uh, when he decided to uh, design the front of the shirt mm -hmm. to make you all look like a team, mm -hmm. you know, just to see how each one of the family members had some input. But just, I, I just think that when I would go to the meetups, and I don't believe in coincidences, like when we went to Whittier School, which is where I used to work in the playground that I used to work in, to see a different group of people there, to see 40 plus women there out there playing mm -hmm. and enjoying themselves in that same space that I'm normally used to little kids being in. Mm -hmm. And those little kids not even knowing what Double Dutch was. Some of those kids in the playground who were on the other side of the playground would see you all and like, what's that? You know, like it was some little novelty thing. But because we had the rule, no children, no pets, no men, we weren't trying to teach them how to jump. They got to watch. We didn't care about them watching. Yes, you all did develop the jump buys because we did want to make it intergenerational, but not during your time. And I like the fact that when I was in the car with you, we could uh, talk about how things went. We could talk about some of the situations that were brought up in the prayer circle. Mm -hmm. I like the fact that um, that you were very comfortable with letting people know that it was faith based, mm -hmm. and that we were going to that you were going to make sure that you let everybody know publicly that God led you to this, mm -hmm. and that you weren't trying to push any religion on anybody. Yeah. Um, if the people were not comfortable with being in the circle, that was okay too. Mm -hmm. We still wanted you to come and participate in as much much of or as little of you didn't have to punch in the layout of it was just so comforting and just to see how you all were listening to the women listening to their issues welcoming everybody everybody it didn't matter what they said their story was what they what their size was some of them will say well I can only come for 15 minutes now the one time that the lady came with the twins and she said she just wanted to jump for a hot minute. And we said, well, okay. And so while she was jumping, one of the twins uh, crawled up under the van. And then we had to stop. And that, re that reinforced mm -hmm. no children, no pets, and no men. Right. Because as soon as we have that hiccup, there is a hiccup. Mm -hmm. So I think all of us continue to learn together that the guidelines that we had set up were really, really helpful guidelines. And then it got to the point where... When we were outside, bring your chair, bring your water, bring your grandmother. She don't have to jump. I don't jump. I have a fake knee, a fake shoulder, back surgery. So between all of these, uh, I'm practically the bionic, bionic woman. woman. Right, right, right. But I did learn how to hula hoop. I learned how to hula hoop. I can do that. I know how to engage my core. Now, of course, I was saying suck it in. But our captain from Israel said, Mama Pelt, I think if we say engage your core, it sounds a lot classier. So I'm learning proper jargon from my daughters. Never too late. So, yep, engage your core. And some people say, what's that? You mean suck it in? Yeah, suck it in. <laughs>
So you guys are full of humor. I love the concept of having the brand ambassadors once it started growing. And you, even though you like you like doing your own thing, you and Katrina are like twins trying to work together. But it was like, you know what, guys? Jesus was perfect and he had 12 disciples. So can let's, can we get some help on board here? So we prayed about that. We have the 10 women that work with you. And we're and just to see all of us growing together in that uh, setting and to see all the different gifts that have emerged that, you know, as we get to know each other, that each time I go to a brand ambassadors meeting, I'm totally amazed at how we're just getting to the next level of growth. And that it just really makes me understand that it's just more than just us. Mm -hmm. It's clear that the way things are going, that God is leading us. And I feel really, really, really happy about that whole process. So when the women started sharing, you know, sometimes when they would come a little late, they would say, you know what, I'm late because my my granddaughter committed suicide yesterday and they were doing the arrangements. But I just had to get out to Mm -hmm. get some time just for me. You know, we would give that person a hug and and uh, check them in and encourage them and pray for them. And the fact that the women who come know that this is truly a break just for you, just about you, just to help you, because caregivers and all of us need that time away. And that is a mental health practice that many of us ignore. Mm -hmm. But because we see some of our friends going down for the count, we're saying, you know what, look at this. This is working for me. Let me invite you out. All you got to do is get a T-shirt. And you can just come. You can go anywhere across the world. I'm in. I'm in. So I really like the fact that it's something where you could do as much or as little. And when I see you guys literally playing. And the other thing that we've developed this team too much concept. They don't want to just do regular hopscotch. They have to do African hopscotch. Now they got to do a little extra dance to the African hopscotch. Now they got to do the vibe. So we're all learning how to do things where we're moving. And it really is a lot more fun than going to the health club. And everybody is kind of happy about that. And I just love, I mean, I'm seeing sizes change. I see energy levels change. I see more smiles. We had some women that came and they never smiled. Uh, and you know who some of them are. And now they're coming in. They're smiling when they get out the car. I'm like, look mm-hmm. at that. Look mm-hmm. at that. Look at God. That's all you have to say. That's it. So I have seen the changes just, and I've been able to go to meetups, not just in the, across Illinois, but in Maryland, I've been able to go to DC. The double Dutch daughters have welcomed me. I've stayed in their homes. Mm -hmm. You know, they provided transportation, um, uh, helping me get to know the environment that they're in. It's just totally, I feel very like royalty. I'm like, oh, I'm so special because I have a daughter that started the movement. So, yeah, now that I can see that my grandson has designed the shirt, my other grandson has developed the documentary. Some of the interviews uh, were people that I help identify for him because their sharing was just so heart-wrenching, so touching. Their evolution, the impact of the movement on them, which is worthy of documentation. And he's a film production major at Arizona State University and he needs to do a project so instead of him making up a project he found one that was within the family then my granddaughter my favorite granddaughter because I only have one she um was able to uh, encapsulate, use all of her technical skills her creative she's a, a cake artist already 
She's been a cake artist since age 19. She has her own business. She, But she's also the mother of three little energetic, budding great-grandchildren and the wife. So she's trying to figure out how she can use her talents and work in our setting. And she has just made the whole idea with the website pop right. which was something which was something that we noted from the women who didn't do Facebook mm-hmm. and because of that we've increased our 70 year olds our 80 year olds we've increased partnerships mm-hmm. with people the 80 year olds come in and the 50 and 60 year olds are helping them use their their iPhones mm-hmm. so we're working together and um it's just amazing to see how um, our family has grown even closer. Now, my husband does get off the phone when we start doing the whole double Dutch talk. He starts at the beginning part of the talk. But after a while, when we start getting into the specifics, because my youngest daughter is on the board, my oldest daughter, who's uh, trained as an actuary, she's on the board. We're working together as a... Um, just very cohesively and just totally amazed that the thousands of women who are able to receive um, the benefits of the movement in whatever social media uh, platform they're comfortable with. Right. And especially the, the uh, face-to-face, the play date, the leadership conference, when we get to see each other in person and we know who we are because we don't have to figure out what we're going to wear. We're going to have on some double Dutch gear. Right. And then the showing off, oh, my goodness, teaching the pilot how to jump at the airport. White pilot, too, by the way, y'all. I mean, I think that we've <laughs> just got a plethora of reasons why we know that this movement has gone beyond the ropes. It's definitely beyond the ropes. Thank you, Gina, for thinking of the title. It's, way, it's popped up way beyond the rope. So how did you come up with the idea to write the Double Dutch Diaries? Well, you know what? I have to go all the way back to my growing up. My father used to say, if you want to keep a secret from black people, put it in a book. Mm. And I'm like, really? We don't want this to be a secret. We don't want, it's not a secret in terms of how people are participating. So let me see if I could get someone to help me write a book. So I tried to scout around and see if you would help me, but you were busy with all of the other components of the Double Dutch movement. Right, you know, I love writing. And you I were writing, you did your, you're very transparent in terms of your Testimony Tuesdays and um, sh- sharing your story. So I'm thinking, well, I do have bits and pieces available. So maybe what I'll do is share what's out there and make the book, you know, something where we actually share the impact of the movement that women were sharing and then not we have a couple of women that are in the witness protection program so we're thinking okay well we can't put their whole name and where they're from we don't want to start any problems so we decided we would just use first names and place and the essence of what the impact of the movement has been on them and then talk about the history how it started why it started with you with with Katrina the uh, how positive it made you feel and really the whole shock of how it spread I mean it literally felt like it went viral Mm -hmm. you know in terms of everybody catching on to it and the excitement that I mean I didn't even know how we could capture the excitement that uh, we see and of course when I first started writing it the other thing is, I like coming out to Double Dutch. It is an outlet for me, too, um, because um, there's some health challenges going on in our in my life and with your dad. And so it was nice to be able to come out and really for the hour, hour and a half for me, mm-hmm. 
to have this break. And so um, I wanted to share that and, and try to do it in a way that the book would be enjoyable and not, you know, I have a master's degree and I am used to writing, but, you know, some of the things that you have to read, you're like, oh, do I have to read this? So I really wanted the font to be big. I wanted it to be something that people would want to pick up and look at. And so I did write it and showed it to your sister, the consumer insight expert. Mm -hmm. And she says, mommy, there's no pictures in here. And the pictures you have are black and white. That's boring. We like pictures. And I'm like, well, yeah, but because of COVID and ink and printing, that'll make the book cost more. So she said, well, I'm going to get a graphic designer to work with you and see what we can do. And sure enough, I could see from what I had written with all of the manuscript and the information, how the pictures made the book pop and how people were more excited and then the, we asked the sub clubs to send their photos because they take a picture after every meetup right. and so that was inspiring them to take their group picture and send their group picture in so I was really really excited about helping everybody see the expansion of the movement the fact that we have a group in Israel German British Columbia uh, Canada mm -hmm. so I just think you know, I just wanted not to keep it a secret because black people were doing it and I know that we didn't invent double dutch but we definitely took it to the level of 40 plus mm -hmm. and to have an 88 year old jumping active and to have people bringing their moms and their aunts and people coming and sitting and clapping and cheering and people even if they're injured they come with their boot on mm -hmm. and some of them are sitting in a chair with their boot doing more moving than the people that aren't sitting in a chair so we know that the just the whole idea of movement and helping that that's all helping us health wise just to see the way that we've all decided that we're going to do as much as we can to stay mentally and physically healthy during this process while we're pre while we're promoting friendship fitness fun and fellowship and everybody just bought into that hook line and sinker and uh yeah, I do have something about the team too much because when they do something, they do want to come up with something a little extra, but then there's the range. So you can do this or watch. You can try that or not try it. Right. And it's all okay. And I love that about the movement. Right. Well, I'm really excited about the finished product of the book. Um, I think that when you got the graphic designer Q Hughes oh on board, goodness. that was definitely a game changer and yeah. it took the book to a whole nother level. Yep. And I do think that women all across the world are going to be inspired to either join in with us. Or just to get moving on them on their on their right, own. Right, on their own. You know, just mm -hmm. get moving and just realize that it's important to take some time to focus on yourself. Mm -hmm. Even if that just means you jump and rope individually. In Hello, or hula hooping. Or hula hooping. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or, I mean, we're doing Stepping in place at the sink. Jacks. Just going yeah. back to those days. Fingers. We just used to have fun spending time with each other. Hopefully, your book will inspire them to do that. And hopefully, at some point, we will see this book in the Library of Congress. And it won't be kept a secret, even though it is in the book. We want black people, white people, all kind of people to see and read the stories of the women that make up this Double Dutch Club movement that is taking the world by storm. Amen. And showing that we have gone beyond the ropes. Yes, indeed. Thank you, Lord. Praise God.